As the Australian Ambassador for Women's Entrepreneurship Day, which is celebrated annually at the United Nations, Bain Reigns raises awareness for the global empowerment and support of women entrepreneurs. I met her there. She's a founder, a CEO, and a formulator at organic skincare company, Synthesis Organics. You're gonna enjoy listening from her as she shares her life story and so many wonderful teachings that can impact our own lives. Please enjoy my conversation with Thing Brains. Theme, I'm so grateful to speak with you today and I know our family listening can learn a lot from your example. So. What I'd love to do is start by talking about Women's Entrepreneurship Day organization. I love that anagram, we do. Um, that's where I became aware of you. So please tell our family about what we do is and how you became involved with the organization. Oh, thank you for that question. I was wondering, how did we first connect? And I was like, maybe it was through Women's Entrepreneurship Day organization, which is Wonderful, because that's a big intention of the organization is to connect women and men around the world who are wanting to come together to make a positive difference. And um, WIDO, Women's Entrepreneurship Day organization, is a grassroots um, volunteer-driven organization um, with the global intention of alleviating world poverty. So it's a big mission, but mm. it's a mission that... Um, is achieved through the through grassroots movements organizations from um coming together and finding ways to sponsor you know 500 syrian refugee girls through school or giving microfinance loans to um you know impoverished women in developing countries or creating amazing networking events and you know breaking the the different um you know breaking through the illusions of different classes of societies, bringing women together and, and men who are supportive of that mission. Because, of course, when women thrive, the whole community thrives. Um, and there have been just constant studies and statistics around that. Um, for example, women pay back their loans at over 90% rate. And I think it's around women spend the money that they earn almost like completely, almost like 100% back on the education of children or their communities, et cetera. So it's a beautiful, um, yeah, they're just beautiful statistics that show how empowering it is to uplift um, women financially. And um, yeah, so that's the that's the organization. <laughs> Wendy Diamond. <laughs> Incredible Wendy Diamond. <laughs> You know, I'm just going to look here because earlier this morning, I shared a statistic with um, my son that spoke to the power of women, um, their, their buying power. And I want to just ask you about it, because when we consider that there is so much conflict in the amount of um, stress and strain placed on women yes. to the ability we have with actual buying power. So I believe it said that as soon as 2028, women will control. Yeah, 2028. This is the year women will 
owns 75% of discretionary spending. So that was a survey by SurveyMonkey. Um, that seems to then conflict a lot with the power women have over their own lives, their education. Yeah. When we think about the spending, now perchance some of that is geographic, but the statistics you speak to are global statistics, aren't they? They are, they are indeed, yep. So when we think about that then, where are we today with the empowerment and support for women? What, what comes to your mind in terms of where things really are versus where they still need to go? Yeah, I think that there's still, um, a, there's still a long way to go. We're definitely heading in the right direction. But um, yeah, I've seen even at the, at the end of last year, just how much more difficult it is for women to raise capital. It's like, uh, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's off the charts skewed against women. Um, so it's that much harder to to start a business and and really scale, which is why I'm so in awe of what you've managed to do as well. <laughs> like reading your story, I must say, it's just such an inspiration to all of us, um, what you've managed to achieve. Um, because the odds are really stacked against uh, us as women in in um, in developing big business and even getting started. And then, of course, um, globally, uh, statistics around opportunities to education, to um, basic financial freedom are are quite quite shocking still when you look at it from a global perspective. When I teach. Often I will share that, you know, where women are in perspective to where we can and should be is more often about not our ability, but our responsibility. By that, I mean, we take, and you reference this, when women thrive, so does the community. When we take into consideration that women often are caring for the generation before in terms of parents, as well as the generation following in terms of children, then it gives us a better picture of just what those challenges include. What was your childhood like? Paint a picture of us for what life was like for you growing up. <laughs> well, I grew up, um, I grew up in apartheid South Africa. So it was a very difficult and challenging time. Um, my parents were both politically active. My mom spent some time in jail for women's rights, actually. She was talking as a, as a feminist. She was kind of Go mom! <laughs> and then dad and, and many of his friends, um, yeah, spent um, a lot of time in house arrest, et cetera, because they were trying to fight against the, the system, obviously, that was there. And so they were both busy all the time. Um, I remember my father saying to me as a teenager, I'm sorry, I was never around. I was out there trying to help the kids of Soweto because there'd been the Soweto riots the year I was born. And, you know, he was one the first that went back in to try and rebuild the schools and set up apprenticeships and um, systems that were empowering to um, the young people in a way they wanted to be taught and what they wanted to be taught. So on one hand, it was um, very challenging because there was that backdrop going on and um, almost a sense of guilt at being born white in mm -hmm. this country. Um, and I think that stayed with me for 
a long time. And then eventually we moved to Australia because it just, it was almost too dangerous um, for my parents to continue to raise us in that country at that time. Um, but it was also magnificently beautiful because my family is also involved in conservation. So spending time in nature and um, yeah, the, the wildness of the African uh, bush. It's like, I don't know if you've had a chance to to go there, but it's just it's so powerfully vital and alive and connects you with the mother energy, which like the, the mother force of nature. That's all of our mother mother earth and you feel that very powerfully there and I was also partly because my parents were so busy as well I was partly raised um, by an African woman who actually got initiated as a sangoma um, mm. a medicine woman mm. while, while I was a child so I learned a lot from her as well um, about the unseen forces and nature and plants and um, yeah it's it's amazing to it's just amazing to listen to you talk and it's such a paradox that you speak from in terms of this wild and wonderful beautiful country and then the horrible inhumane things that were occurring there your your parents were first generation freedom thinkers or has that thematically been mm -hmm. a part of your family's history um thing it's an interesting one. My dad was born in Kenya and his great grandmother was an was a Sioux Red Indian. And I don't know much about her story, but there was displacement obviously there as a woman and also from her culture and, and land. And um I, I don't know a lot about that side, but on, on my mother's side, I think my mother was the first when she came from very traditional English conservative family. And I she was like, she took a stand against her whole culture and the conservative nature of it. And um, yeah, my my grandmother wasn't, a, she had two brothers and both of them went to the best schools and she wasn't allowed even to finish, I think she was allowed to finish high school, but certainly not encouraged to have any education at all. And um, she went on to become a flower arranger because she found her way and she became so successful at it that she was flown to like Monaco and Japan and Bath to do like royal weddings. And one day she was on the cover of this magazine with this beautiful Indian woman who had also done all these amazing things. And um, she was so proud. And I remember her brothers saying something to her like, oh, you're on the cover of a magazine with a colored woman. And like that was the level of like prejudice and dis like just towards women, towards and like it was so conservative and so it showed how much my mother broke out of um she became a history lecturer and a feminist and an activist and like so I have so much respect for her to break out of um yeah that total paradigm well wow you certainly represent her beautifully in the work that you do as a matter of fact you're the founder of Synthesis Organics, an organic skincare company. Before launching your company, you succeeded in healing arts and human rights as well, didn't you? Yeah, well, I started at the human rights. Um, I wanted to go into, into that. I never actually practiced in that area. I was very young when I made the choice to go into the healing arts um, because I had a 
very powerful experience where um, I'd been traveling the world a lot because I was running, I was running a business when I was, <laughs> well, I was putting myself through law school. I was running a business with two other women and it did very well. So that gave me the pocket money I needed to travel around the world. <laughs> um, and we always laugh about our different relationships to money. My my one friend put away every cent and bought her first apartment. My other friend was like, oh, new handbag. And I was like, travel the world. <laughs> anyway, it, it exposed me to, to a lot at a very young age. And it was very impactful on me. And I had this profound moment actually when I was in Cuba of all places it had just opened up to the west and so it was like walking back in time and seeing it was just a very intense time there as well and I was on this balcony and it just hit me that I felt in that moment that there wouldn't ever be an expedient plan of individuals or governments that would ever be enough like we had to I had to connect with a force that was greater than me and anything I knew and if I connected with that force that intelligence which I call God and <laughs> the divine but I didn't grow up with any religion so it was I didn't have the words for the experience all I knew was it was this force and I had to connect with it and um, my friend who I was traveling with who then went on to study theology at Oxford <laughs> She sent me this huge book of spiritual texts from all the traditions of the world. So I was reading them and my mind was opening to it. And then I had an experience where my heart converted as well. It wasn't just my intellect. And then I just had to, I had to follow that. There was no choice. And so I moved away from the human rights and law and I guess the more conventional path. And I threw myself into the healing arts with this recognition that if there was a, sh um, a shift in consciousness, it would, because we are all interconnected, if there's a, there's a shift in consciousness, everything lifts. And all of these problems that I was seeing in this world that seemed so insurmountable and impossible to figure out, there would be a solution for because the consciousness lifts. And in that lifted state, things naturally work themselves out. And so that became my um, intention and mission and practice. I just threw myself into that um, journey. Let's let's talk a little bit more, a little bit deeper about this shift and lifting consciousness. Because um, you had a 14-year apprenticeship with a master healer. Tell us yeah. about this time of your life and the influence and the confluence of that occurrence. Um. Yeah, that's um how to even begin. <laughs> like I said, when I first met him, there was such a heart recognition. And um, before then, I'd been more comfortable in the mind, the intellect and everything had pros and cons. But when I met him, it was just like total heart recognition. And there was no question anymore about what I needed to do. And um, in him, I recognized both the vulnerability of someone who is just living as love and also the the power of it because there's no you power. You say in him, you say in him you recognize this. Was it in him? Was it through him? How did he explain it to you? I'm sure you talked with him about what was happening for you. 
Yes, exactly. It's interesting to say that it, it's not, he would not have used the words in him. <laughs> not sure why I did it in that moment. Perhaps it was my um, consciousness then, but certainly through him. And very early on, he would say, you know, don't look to me for your happiness. Your happiness is your relationship to the divine. It was always, um, it's always turning me to my own relationship and our, as you say, response ability, the ability to respond consciously and with heart to whatever it is that, that, that we're facing. Um, so, and that it's in, it's completely in all of us. It's the same heart and light and love that shines through all of us it's just that sometimes we forget we get stressed we get overwhelmed we have terrible traumatic experiences whatever it is and we forget and we close off and um his work and the work which I followed was about the remembering and the opening the awakening um and the reinterconnection so my Time with him was traveling the world and um, a form of karma yoga. So just doing service for people who wanted to be reminded of that. Um, we did a lot of workshops at that time. Even meditation was quite new. So the workshops were very much about how to remember feeling ourselves as energy. So the simplicity of learning how to breathe in a way that keeps us calm and connected and to actually um, feel ourselves as energy beings and interconnected. And we all, many of us learn at school Einstein's theory of relativity, E equals MC squared, so that everything is matter, is light sped up, we're all interconnected. Um, but we don't learn how to live as that. We still learn at least I did at school, that we're separate material beings all um, doing our own thing. But in according to quantum physics and the great healing traditions of the world, we're all connected through light, through energy. And so a lot of our time was about learning how to live as that and invite others to remember that as well. Because when we live in feeling, we can feel when something is true or isn't true because the the heart um the heart doesn't lie <laughs> and you can when you're in that it's the feeling is the language of the heart so we spent a lot of time doing that we traveled to many places in the world doing energetic healing on the on the earth because um, obviously there's a lot of trauma held in the earth as well and it was like an ongoing PhD or master's in spiritual <laughs> so we just learning about science and nature and spirituality because it's all it's all interconnected and um so the whole journey was like just constant <sighs> opening more and more and discovering more and more about the wonder and the mystery of this world and our responsibility relative to it all it, it, it seems almost negligible to ask you this, but I'm going to because I have a feeling that it will be, I have a sense that it will be something you can really teach from. Dean, what's the most important thing that you've learned thus far in your life? Uh, that there's two things. One is that um, what is real can never be lost. And I learned that when 
when he died um, because I realized that love and consciousness, no matter what, you, if it's real, it's, ne it's never lost. It's still with me forever. And the other is that um, love truly is the only and all power. And when you align with that, the future becomes that. It's outlined in love. When you're in love in the present moment, as in you're in your heart, you're coming from a space of love, feeling into connection with all, that creates the next moment and the next and the next. So each of us that are in that space in the present moment create a future that is outlined in love as well. And that's how we can all be impactful and responsible no matter where we are what we're doing is just for how we are in that present moment and how we're showing up yeah it, it it's so powerful what you are telling and what you are teaching it would be amazing thing for this to be created into teaching for young children so that they can that they have it naturally as I witnessed, not only through my children, but through all children. I, I think it's safe to say all children I've interacted with. You said being in living in love is living in your heart. Maybe I paraphrase you, but that's what I got from your conversation earlier, a bit of it. To create something in mm. just the conversation you've had now about the two most important things you've learned in your life that becomes a teaching element that makes it safe for children to carry that place they come naturally to and from throughout mm -hmm. their lives would be awesome because so often it appears that we go through things, whether it's trauma, loss, whatever, to get there. How gorgeous could it be? to actually make this teaching to children that what you feel now living in love is living in your heart and it's good to do it, to teach that at a young age instead of us learning it from the pain and the places we've been. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely, totally, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> and going you know, back to women and the importance of women, women are the mothers of the next generation as well, and the mothers and the grandmothers of the next generation. So our, our role to be able to hold that sacred space for children to grow up in, as you say, never forgetting that they are love <laughs> and um, uniquely special and important and yet part of the whole and interconnected as well. Would how, yeah, rather than having to remember it and reclaim it after suffering all the pain and trauma of this potential in this place. Yeah. And with so much information available digitally, it's, it, it, it's I think, more compounding for mm. children and adults today than it was one generation ago. You've, you, you've had a beautiful approach to your healing that was shaped some to some degree through your apprenticeship. And that, I think, influenced you to creating beauty and wellness products. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? I so often think 
over these last couple of months, not years, months, I've come across women and people in the beauty industry who say we're in the health and beauty industry or we're in the wellness and beauty industry. What's happening? Beautiful. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> um, yeah, synthesis. Synthesis came out of all of the life journey that I'd had, all the tangible and intangible benefits. And like this could be shared with like through a book or I was running women's retreats or and then I remembered this these products that had the imbuement through them that my um, teacher created and how when I applied them it helped me to drop into my heart it helped me to feel my body more easily it helped release some of the stress and I was like let's do it through the vehicle of skincare. Let's use skincare, something so intimate that we apply in our body on almost, a, for most people, a daily basis and infuse that with all of the positive energy of nature and the energy imbuement and um, good intention and ethical production and sustainable packaging and everything so that anyone that uses the products, it becomes a healing energy source in their day. Because as we all know, in any one day, we have things that drag us down or exhaust us or you know, lower our, our energy and vibration. Then we have things that lift us up and you know, laughter, friends, or walk on the beach, whatever it is. And our health and well-being depend on keeping that balance in the right you know, towards the more positive. So we wanted, I was like, synthesis can be one of those really beautiful, positive influences in your daily life that when you apply it, smell it, touch and connect with it, it feeds you, not just your skin, but your your spirit, your sense of interconnection. You know, um, when I use the products and close my eyes, breathe them, I travel with the ingredients all over the world to these beautiful organic fields or wildcrafted places and forests and I I connect with nature through them no matter where I am and so as a this is a beautiful way a beautiful way to offer um, a healing presence or a tool into the world and so many women use skincare on a daily basis and I think some of the statistics um, from um, the American Environmental Protection Agency is that we get exposed to about 168 chemicals a day from personal care and um i was like okay so and another one from the uk said we absorb about two kilograms of personal care products every year into mm. our bodies because a lot of what we apply goes into us so i was like okay say taking that two kilos if those two kilos are made up of like more chemicals or things that burden our body it puts a bigger demand on our immune system and our body to process it you know it's 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 only a little bit it's not going to make that much of a difference but it still puts extra demand on us I was like rather if we could make those two kilograms actually feeding you like they're biodegradable and they're energizing you and they're connecting you with nature and they're doing all this like that's a that's already making a good shift in in the right direction um and then if you you have them connect, um, teach people to use them in a way that does connect them through to nature, then you're having that, those holistic benefits as well. So that was how synthesis came about <laughs> as a, as a um, 
Yeah. And so I was really just doing it for a network of fellow therapists because I was like, if you're doing treatments, I'd love you to use products that both lift you up and lift up the person that's receiving. Because as a therapist, you, you're working with products a lot. So, um, and then I got picked up by um, a very big um, spa here in Australia, Australia's largest spa. They do like 38,000 treatments a year. And so suddenly I was like, I have an actual proper business with this now. I have, because we make it all ourselves. <laughs> um, and then that, that grounded it. And I was like, okay, so now I have to learn business <laughs> in order to bring these beautiful products to the world. I have to learn the whole e-commerce and business and that's been a whole nother journey and it's still ongoing but I, it's like if I believe in this I need to learn how to um to bring it to the world as well well theme if you had to pick one product from your brand and I pray you don't nor do your customers have to but what would that one product be I mean what would make it uniquely your choice um I suppose at the moment um, the one that that is really shouting out the most is is in the Notox Ageless Glow Serum, um, mm. and I made that well just after I was um, gave birth, and it, it's it's meaningful to me because I I was going to go on cruise control when I had my baby, but COVID hit, and so a month or two before I gave birth, so instead of going on cruise control, all of my business partners shut down. <laughs> And so I had to like pivot and launch an e-commerce business like when my baby was like four months old or something. It was crazy. And I, I came up with this product during that time because I looked so exhausted. I was so happy and so overjoyed to be a mama. And, but I was also sleepless nights trying to work, trying to stress and all of that too. So I was like, surely there's some help from the plant kingdom that <laughs> doesn't make me look so ragged right now. <laughs> And so I pulled it all together in this product and we launched it to the public. And it was this product that took us to an international e-commerce brand. And it's so it's safe for pregnancy. It's got no side effects, but it, it's plants that have a similar effect in the skin as Botox. And so oh. it creates a completely natural alternative um, to injectables and um or for people who are using injectables, it creates a beautiful way to nurture the skin and support it as well during that process. So that one at the moment is a, a favorite and it's infused through a rose hydrosol and rose is my like one of my all-time favorites. I have many favorites, but rose, of course, is a heart-opening oil and, and energy and so it connects you with that. It's like your daily ritual of saying, I love you when you put it on. <laughs> well, you know, you speak to the similarities of the outcomes uh, to Botox with it and it being natural and herbal. Can you, you Botox is used by some people for uh, migraines as well and headaches or does it give that type of uh, goodness when you apply it it's topical so it's topical so i I've, i haven't heard that i've heard people say they feel better when they use it because obviously with the aromatherapy it has yeah. effects on our nervous system 
on our um, hormonal system, et cetera. So people do have those holistic benefits just from the aroma that's within it, the essential oils. But no, Botox, and I know you use it for TMJ and all kinds of um, medical reasons. This is actually just the same effect that it has in the skin. So it just relaxes the muscles and eases like um, expression lines, et cetera, like that. It's not a, it's a, it's a cosmetic, topical cosmetic. It's not definitely an alternative to Botox in the medical sense, just in terms of um, uh, aesthetic, aesthetic um, yeah. I'm in, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to send you a bottle. And your husband, Christopher, right? Yes. Christopher joined your company and he has a background in film and war journalism, I think I read. He also worked in regenerative agriculture and vibrational medicine disciplines around the world. Explain why regenerative agriculture is a real thing. Yes. So um, that's how I came across Weedo, actually, because he was working um, with with Wendy um, on, on, a, on a startup, which um, was trying to connect um, or is trying to connect farmers directly with an international market so that the food becomes more affordable, organic food becomes more affordable to the consumer and the farmer gets more money for their hard work. Um, because farmers are actually the industry with the highest level of suicide in the world because they get the least amount of money for the most amount of work and risk. Um, so it's trying to address and is trying to address that imbalance. So regenerative agriculture, obviously from an environmental point of view, it's about not just um, sustainability, but actually about regenerating the soil so that it's healthier now and for generations to come. It's about, it's more of an active healing presence. It's not just trying to manage current resources in a sustainable way. It's about really regenerating, rebuilding, um, setting things up for the future as well as now. And um, that's very important for the end health of the the produce that's created the produce then has the full spectrum of minerals and all of the nutrients that we need because it's been regeneratively farmed which means it has all the different inputs holistically that it needs it's not monoculture farming which ends up with um, produce that's missing a lot of essential things that come out of the biodiversity um, it also means that the farmers and the workers involved in creating it have a much healthier life and longer life expectancy because they're not exposed to the kind of chemicals that are needed for um, monoculture farming. And um, it's also empowering because you can create a regenerative um, market garden on as small as an acre that can be a profitable um, income for a family. And so it's it solves a lot of um, problems and it's better for the earth. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's beyond crop rotation. I mean, on steroids, um, does, did, and, and, and you're nodding perchance, you're agreeing with me on that uh, theme. Is it, um, is it likely then that the, um, climate change that's being spoken to and addressed by so many people around the world has a play in regenerative agriculture? 
Yeah, you mean the the effects of the climate change? Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, if we were all practicing regenerative agriculture on mass, I believe very much it would have an effect on climate change. And also, you know, I'm no expert in this area at all, so this is just my you know obviously opinion. Um, but because of what's happening with climate change we are being forced to adapt and to become more resilient and to become more empowered in local areas because there may be um, cutoffs of resources, et cetera. So with regenerative farming, um, that it can empower people in local areas around the world of how to actually farm in a way that can support their local community. You're not so dependent on trade from all over the world. Um, yes, so don't... Yes, please. Please continue your thought. Um, just, just that I, I really like the question, and I feel like there's a lot more to explore in it. But because it's not my area of expertise, I hesitate to, <laughs> to speak too much to it. Well, it is an important question, and I really respect that you would not do it the disservice of a guest. So thank you. Uh, can you speak to vibrational medicine disciplines and what they are? Sure. So he studied biogeometry um, with Dr. Ibrahim Karim in Egypt. Um, and this is um, Dr. Ibrahim Karim came from a family. He's also an architect, but he's a, he's a scientist and he created the science of energy medicine um, where he's actually able to measure the direct vibration and frequency of anything and basically and how to set it up and change its effect on biological systems so there's a case study for example which sums this work up really well it was swiss telco i believe um they put up a tower somewhere in switzerland and when they put it up the birds left the village people started getting sick it had a very um bad effect on the the life in that town they called dr ibrahim karim in and he worked with that tower, with the principles of biogeometry. The tower remained, but the bird life came back. The people were all well and thriving. And now when Swiss Telco put up towers anywhere in Switzerland, they get him to come in and do this biogeometry balancing at the same time. So basically the tower is still there. It's still you know, emitting <laughs> The radiation, etc. But through this science of biogeometry, it changes how biological um, beings, such as ourselves, receive that information and that energy, and transmutes it in a way that doesn't it isn't harmful. So they do it on aeroplanes, and it's a it's a fascinating science. But it it's a science of of being able to measure energy frequencies, and therefore to be able to change energy frequencies into a more positive harmonious space so talking about regenerative agriculture they use these principles on land as well because you find land that's been damaged by electricity that's come through it or or maybe just the natural ley lines and and crossing of water etc and so there's land where plants thrive more and where they don't thrive no matter how much you put into them and when you work with biogeometry, there's ways of actually shifting the flow of energy on land so that agriculture can thrive 
as well because it it you know plants really respond to energy enormously so is this a thing about balancing creating balance i guess through using natural and organic ingredients along with high performance pre- the creation of high performance products yeah yeah how and tie in how does that tie in the well the biogeometry um which is the science that that chris studied he because he um has this way of measuring whether things are holding the phi ratio or the the ratio of um you know in nature you can see like in seashells or in ferns that beautiful spiral fibonacci spiral it's a natural proportion that happens in nature it's called the phi ratio or the golden mean and it's the same ratio that was used to build the Taj Mahal and the Pantheon and the Egyptian pyramids it's in the Mona Lisa so it's this natural harmonious ratio and um, with biogeometry you're able to test whether that ratio is present or what you need to do to bring that ratio into a space or product so when Christopher first came across synthesis products he was using my products before I met him <laughs> he was testing them he's like these products are holding the phi ratio how is this possible <laughs> and so it's great so his science was able to verify some of the positive energy in our products but then we've also worked together with the aromatherapy line that we have where he's able to test the color vibration of the different plants and therefore also connect them with the astrological correspondences of the plants. So as above, so below, every plant has a has a star or a constellation that connects with it. And when you bring those together, it creates a very rounded, um, holistic healing response. So that way our essential oils can be paired with different astrological occurrences that are happening and color vibrations. It gets all very <laughs> specific, but... I actually found out recently in in ancient times, I believe Hippocrates and that period of time, a physician wasn't considered a physician, a proper doctor, unless he had as good an understanding of astronomy and the stars as he did of plants and the human body. It was considered that you had to take all of those things into account to properly treat a human being. And so, yeah. That that very much lines up with... Uh, the and perchance it's not from necessarily study as it is from life or gift that you often hear artists, musicians, you know, painters uh, speak to the rhythm of life. And that's what that's what I'm feeling from the conversation that I'm hearing from you as well. Uh, whose decision was it that Christopher joined your company? His decision? How did that happen? I mean, you said he had used your product, so he absolutely knew there was value there. <laughs> he um he was working with the CEO of the startup company that um I met Wendy through, and they were traveling the world together starting this up. And I knew the CEO through some of the energy medicine that I'd been involved with. So he introduced um Christopher to synthesis, and then we met when we were both flying through LA, he was flying in with the CEO and I was flying in on my way, something else. And a friend took us all out for dinner. We met, we just became friends. And then he came to Australia. Um, well, I was having a radical change in my life. I'm Scorpio. I have lots of birth and death, birth and death. 
but it was a few years after my teacher had died and I was literally decided that I was going to live in a tent under these thousand year old trees in the, in the mountains for a while and just connect with nature and on a friend's property doing that and he came to visit Australia for some investment meetings and then um, we were doing a special workshop there that weekend so invited him to come just as a friend and yeah he never went home that was it <laughs> well you know you weren't born in Australia but you certainly came alive there huh yeah yeah it's all you- it's all in me and our little boy <laughs> he's got he's African Australian <laughs> American Christopher's mother was born in Slovenia so they've got this like European it's is the great mix and 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 do you use your products on children as well as adults yeah yeah I do. by it being so natural I I would imagine it's quite good for them if not only to them We've got a um, mama and baba range um, and it's all the products that I use during my pregnancy and, and with Ziggy. Um, and so, yeah, whenever he's got an itchy bite, he's like, rescue Joe, mommy, or, <laughs> or he'll get the, the wonder balm and smear it all over everything. And so we've got some um, baby and children specific. Well, they're for everyone, but they don't have the um, essential oils and they don't have the actives. So they're totally suited for, you know, the most sensitive skin. And um, they've got all the just healing things like calendula and chamomile and just the soothing soft, um, soft plants. Well, my travels to Australia have been some of my most enjoyable and most teaching ones I've had in my life. How are you defining success these days? So these days, defining success. I'm no, I just from when I when I started this journey as i'm I'm here in service. and um success for me, definitely now that I have a little boy, is his happiness and well-being and and thriving is a marker of success for me. Um, but here in service, it's just it's hard to feel successful at any point because it's like, how can we have more impact? How can we show up more, be more present? And um, but the markers of it would definitely be anyone that comes forward and says that they've felt a positive difference or been uplifted or it's impacted them in some way. Um, every time I hear that or feel that, to me, that's okay. We're ha- we're making a difference. That's success. And I I love you for sharing that. You know because it aligns so much with my belief of success, which is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. It's a progressive realization. It's not a place you get to. I remember years ago the Dalai Lama saying. Um, and I sat in audience and in awe of his conversation that um, everybody in life is searching for happy. That, that, that's what we're looking for is a state of happiness. And so I love that you are progressive in that. And I think your children will probably represent that as they continue to grow and give to the earth and to people as well. There are a lot of people who are listening right now who are interested in a path of entrepreneurship. What advice can you give to our family who have that in mind? Yeah, 
entrepreneurship is um it can create create and I think why we're all so drawn to it is because it can create freedom in terms of flexibility of um your time especially if you have a family etc and but there's also um piece of advice is whatever you choose to do make sure that you really 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 love it and really 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 believe in it because you'll end up spending so much more time on it than you realize um when you first start out so it's and, and it's quite hard um it's a challenge to be able to separate your entrepreneurship expression from your life um I know work-life balance is very important and it's good but when it's your baby and with entrepreneurship your your business or your offering is like a like a child <laughs> like a baby to you um yeah it it demands it demands a lot it can demand a lot a lot from you so right at the beginning make sure it's something that you that lights you up inside and that you really believe in you're not just doing it from a dissociated or I think I should be doing this entrepreneurship like really have it mean something to you or be solving a real problem in the world or yeah have have that depth right from the beginning because you know there are the overnight success stories but in the main it takes a lot of time and perseverance and it's a marathon <laughs> um it doesn't have to be that way it can it can be but um if you if you go out knowing that you're you're running a marathon you pace yourself and you really believe in the the journey and the destination then that will that will get you through I so much agree with you. I mean, when we think about entrepreneurship, we often put the face on it of people who continue in that company they started, but it can be a pre-planned fruition. It also can be a journey through serial entrepreneurship, can't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, this has been so delightful to for me to listen and to learn from you. Let's go four for four, shall we? That sounds great. <laughs> okay. I'm going to ask you four questions to which you'll give me four answers. There are no wrong answers to this. Um, all I ask is that you share um, candidly and know that everybody can listen and learn from what you're talking about. Being, you're awesome. So the first of the four, we're going one for four now, is you get to invite four people to dinner who's going to be at your table and why and they can be from any point in history through today ah uh, okay um it just arose the other day so I'm going to ask um Buckminster Fuller because I think that he will have some good ideas about how to deal with some of the technology um AI and issues and things that we're following oh we can go through any point in time any point in time to date. <laughs> I mean, we'd have to invite Jesus Christ to the table. <laughs> we could not. And Buddha. <laughs> Jesus and Buddha. And um, why? 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 Um, well, because to me, and, and and with others as well, they're bringing just the pure, the the pure message of of um of love and of 
connection and in enlightenment and consciousness. And having said that, I'm like, oh, they've already said everything and given us everything. So is it fair <laughs> to pull them back to another dinner table meeting where they've already given everything? <laughs> so, oh, so you're referring to Jesus I'm, having had his last supper already. <laughs> <laughs> it's not somebody said eternal peace is when they don't roll back the stone. It's like <laughs> it's not fair to pull, <laughs> ask him to come back and say more. <laughs> So I'm rethinking it's such an interesting question. It's flummoxed me. Um, yeah, but I mean, I would love you to be at this table because I feel the way that you're leading conversations and helping to bring these issues to light and and bring things out would be so, so beautiful and powerful as well. Um, but yes, the, the slightly selfish desire to sit and bask in the presence of a living enlightened master. <laughs> At a dinner table. Oh, if Jesus is there, I'll be there with you, girl. <laughs> Shall we go two for four? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, theme. what music are you listening to now? What four musicians, artists are you listening to right now and why? Ah, okay. So I'm listening to a lot of Cora at the moment because my little boy just loves it. Cora is in, is in the African harp. It's the most beautiful sound. And so we listen to it a lot. It's um we put it on and it just puts them into this incredible space, the the Cora. And um then um I just my one of my yoga teachers, Shiva Ray, she took us through this dance yoga class last Sunday, and she was listening to also a form of African music from South Africa. Uh, Capella, she introduced me to and it's just got such rhythm and it was like we were you know it's been it's been an intense time I don't know for you but the last few years has felt really intense and just when we were all dancing to this rhythm it just felt like we were shaking out just all of the stuff from the last few years I was like oh yeah I needed that you know? <laughs> <laughs> this is the power of dance and music so this incredible rhythmic African dance music and then um, also we've been listening in the lab where we are with our business a lot to frequency music so we put on like four three two hertz or different frequencies and we just have that going through the whole space and it just helps to like really drop in and just all come into this beautiful harmonious space so I'd say those are like three of the the biggest influences and what's the fourth Oh, the fourth I, is my all-time favorite, which we always go back to. I love uh, Baroque classical music. Yeah. It, um, I used to listen to it a lot with my teacher. Um, we just always have it playing. And again, it, it's the music of the spheres. So it, like Bach would write every manuscript to the glory of God, everything. It's very lifting. It's music that lifts you to this transcendental space. Um, so I, yeah. When I first heard uh, heard Baroque, I, I thought of it as being very heavy. And then I moved to a place where it became very deep. And then you use this term just now. It became very lifting. I don't know if you journeyed to where you are with it as I did, or if it was just there for you at the beginning. But that was my experience. Yeah, I had had some experience of the more of lifted, like the I found the adagios because they're so mm -hmm was a really great entry into it um a lot of them um but I know what you're saying there's this 
because and my teacher is saying this to me as well he's like because you're not accustomed to listening to it it's mm-hmm. going to maybe hit up against things in you for a little while but then your ear will open to it and your 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 body and you you will open to it so yeah for, for people who are first coming to listen to baroque for the first time stay with it a while because allow it to open you to hear it and and um and stay with it allow it to move things in you because as you say when you do it you connect with this music of the spheres and this um, beautiful healing influence that it can have on us. Yeah, I really appreciate you for actually sharing that because I hadn't thought about it, but coming into Baroque as an adult, that was my experience. So I'm really glad you helped me a little bit to understand my own experience with it as well, since it was not a taught experience. Uh, It was a very independent journey for me to come into it. What four books do you recommend to our family and why? Um, well, first of all, just reading, reading in general, um, just keep reading, keep, my teacher would say, say to me, um, he heard it from someone, if you keep reading, you'll suddenly wake up one day and find yourself one of the most educated people of your, of your age. And I think reading journals, reading books, for me at the moment, I'm doing a lot of audio books because I have a little boy and I don't have that much time. But four books that um, come to me that I would love to share with you. One is Autobiography of a Yogi, um, which Yogananda's book. It's just a short read, but it's just so interesting to learn how he brought um, these spiritual concepts to the West and really um, helped to bring a lot of the benefits of meditation and yoga to our awareness. Um, It's very easy to read and it's a lovely book. the other one is um, just relevant to anyone that's um, had given birth or had a baby. It's called the postnatal depletion cure. And um, it really helps to make sure that you're feeding your your body in the right way um, for this massive change in our life and physiology. I um, think you shared with me that the changes pe- women go through are incredibly more than adolescence, did you say? That's why I wanted to to share it because it was so illuminating to me to realize he said that the human, the female brain and whole physiology goes through more changes in the first year after giving birth than we go through in adolescence. Wow. And this, this isn't accounted for in society. You know, in more traditional societies, women were completely supported by the society for the first three years after giving birth and often then wouldn't have their next child until three years later because it was just the whole society supported her as being this caretaker for the child. And of course, in today's society, we have to be caretaker for the child. We have to either running a business or or generating an income, managing a household. Often we're like shut off from our communities and families because we've traveled or relocated or everybody else is also so busy and it's like, it's just, um, it's really, it's really intense. It's really challenging. And, but being empowered with some of the science and the, the neurology around this so that you can at least get yourself the food and the supplements and make sure that you're supported physically um, through those changes um, is really interesting. And um, we were talking earlier about biogeometry. So reading 
um, one of the books on biogeometry because another interesting point on that when we're talking about the female brain, this is what made me think of this book and sharing it, is um, he, he's, they've taken photos of um, like Neanderthal man was operating more from the left brain. So it was more in like the dreaming state. And then we moved into modern man where we're in the right brain. But when you take a picture of a female brain talking, it's right and left hemispheres of the brain. And mm -hmm. so it's this really interesting body of knowledge because it shows how women are at this time uniquely set up to be able to hold both the left and right hemispheres of the brain simultaneously. And this is why coming back to some of our earlier discussions, you know, the Dalai Lama saying the future will be led by powerful women, et cetera. I can't remember the exact quote, but that's the, the general gist of it is, and you can see why it would be so helpful if more women were in leadership positions, because we're holding the left and right hemispheres. We're holding both the capacity for the intellect and the consciousness, and but also the connection with each other and the earth and the impact that the decisions that we make have on the whole. And so um, it's it's a, an interesting read and study on that. And, and the name of the book again is? Um, I have to look up the exact name. Sorry, I'll ah. pause or I come back to it. Um, and your fourth book. Uh, and the fourth, it's called, well, um, Biogeometry, Nature's Own Design Language. Um, the fourth book would be um, a book that my friend wrote, and it's called The Beautiful Mare. Oh. It's, a, it's a book written for children, but it's also relevant for all ages and my little boy when things are going are a bit difficult he asks to have it read to him and I see him <laughs> use it as a bit of a mantra but the interesting thing is is then I started to notice oh he's getting me to read this to him because actually I need to remember this it's like as much it was like oh yeah I need to remember this message and it's based on the message of there's a traditional story by that comes through from Lao Tzu and it's um, a story about a wise man who these things happen to. And some people say, oh, it's so good that that happened. Other people say, oh, it's so bad that that happened. And the wise man says, I don't know if it's good or bad. I just know that it happened. And then the next thing happens. Um, but my friend, Dr. Mark Cohen, he's a professor of medicine and is an amazing human being. And um, he wrote it, but he his publishing house is called Pronoia Press. So he's yeah. like, you to be paranoid like worried that the universe is acting against you or you can be pronoic and believe that the universe is working for you and in your favor and so he took this book and he's called it the beautiful mare and it's from the perspective of the wise man's son who i don't know if it's good or bad but it's actually like what how can i respond to the situation and make it a positive like what's the positive out of this and so it's a it's a beautiful book and um yeah it's been read all around the world i think yeah it's yeah, the beautiful mayor oh wow <laughs> oh wow thank you so much okay we're going four for four theme what four pieces of advice do you offer our family right now and why? And theme, if it's advice that was shared to you from someone else, please let us know who that was. Okay. 
Um, the first thing that comes to me is that change is the only constant. Um, and that was shared with me by my teacher, um, who I believe heard it somewhere as well. It's a, it's a universal truth. And I feel like we are all going through so much change collectively and individually and accepting and moving into a space where we are knowing that change is the only constant can help us be more resilient and aware rather than trying to in any way stop or or um yeah check that change it's like aligning with okay this is how things are change is the only constant and and move with that rather than um being a, a victim of it <laughs> in a way um that would be one thing and the the other to come back um to some of our earlier talks is that everything flourishes in the presence of love so that goes for everything we're doing in terms of business or for our family and our friends like if we we bring and create a space of love, things will flourish in that. But it's also for ourselves. Like remember, especially as women, we're so taking care of everyone else and everything. But learning to truly love ourselves and, and care for ourselves and bring that same love and compassion will allow ourselves to flourish as well. So, you know, if you find yourself in the negative self-talk or critical or judgment, try and like listen and come back to words of compassion and love um, for, for yourself because that's where it all starts. Um, and along the next is coming back to also, which we were talking about earlier, how we are and what we're doing in the present moment dictates the future that we are creating for ourselves and the world around us. So that is both a big responsibility, but it's also empowering. If we can shift ourselves, our state of being in the present moment, come back to the present moment, come back to love, come back to responsibility, awareness, that will create the next moment. So if we find ourselves where things are not in a very harmonious way or et cetera, we have the power to change that by changing how we are in this moment. Um, and so then that leads on to the fourth piece of advice, which is that <clears throat> you're never alone. Like we all need support and we don't have to do this alone. So make sure that you reach out and get support where and when you need it. Um, sometimes our friends and family can't be all that we need in terms of the support. So sometimes we need coaches or counselors. Sometimes we need um other friends, sometimes we need to get on these kinds of podcasts and hear from our community. So whatever it is, make sure that we surround ourselves with the support that we need when we need it, because we can't and shouldn't do this alone. Ah, theme from my heart to your home. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the beautiful work that you're doing. And for inviting me on to be part of it today. <laughs> so it's such an honor. Hmm.